Welcome to Know Your Roles. The entertainment, culture, and sports podcast where we find unexpected connections across all your favorite mixed media. And we do it all while sitting down with some really interesting guests. The person you just heard right there is Dave, not to be confused with Sean Penn's character from Carlito's Way, Climbing. And I'm your boy, George. Don't call me Fish Sticks, Jim Callahan, Gordon. Yeah, definitely not Davey Kleinfeld. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that character. Why did it have to be so close to my name? <laughs> Anyway, here we are. We're doing the show. George, what do we got going on on today's show? Today we've got comedian, writer, composer, and producer Lucas Kaiser. We're going to talk about Will Smith roles in Suits. But before we get to all of that, how are you? I am doing all right. I'm excited to talk uh, those those uh, topics. Uh, we uh, just got back from a trip from Atlanta. I want to shout out our friends Tucker and Maya for showing us a great time, giving us great hospitality. Uh, that's a really cool city. First time, first time I've been there. And yeah, find a city that's 70 degrees in February <laughs> because I've never had that. And pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. George, what's uh, what's going on with you, man? How you been? Uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm a smidge, just a touch, hungover. Uh, shout out to the fine folks at uh, Red Hook tavern and uh my man bun who was the uh the the chef there who uh sent us a couple plates of food and uh, a couple glasses of wine and um uh, i was supposed to be at a concert that was canceled and uh i had a, had a good time with my buddy katie so like a uh, red oak tavern and, and katie and a lot of drinks were had last night so i, I am i don't drink a lot of i drink like maybe like maybe two glasses of wine a week so to have like four was kind of it was, it was a lot <laughs> yeah that's uh I'm surprised to hear you're only drinking like two glasses of wine a week, but, but yeah, that seems, that seems good. <laughs> I make dinner. I make dinner from time to time and yeah, you got to have wine while making dinner. I agree with that wholeheartedly. All right, George, what do you say? We go to, we go to the bar today on bar talk. What's on tap is we're going to be talking about DeMar DeRozan's and his, uh, kind of historic run that he's been on for the Chicago, Chicago Bulls. And we're going to be talking about super pumped, which is a, it's a show that premieres on uh showtime this upcoming sunday and a new thing bartender's choice and today is going to be your choice Dave. but let's talk about demar Rosen. a uh, lot to unpack here so dave i'm going to leave that because that is your team and that is your account so go right ahead <laughs> well um it's been a joy to watch i mean first i will i'll give uh we'll give a little bit of numbers demar Rosen. he's you know plays small forward slash power forward for the bulls. And he is on a run where he has scored 35 points in eight straight games while out also shooting over 50%, which is insane. And like, it's so cool and so cool to watch for so many reasons. Um, 
I mean, for myself as a Bulls fan, it's been fucking thrilling and we haven't had a lot of excitement with that team over the last few years. Um, so that's been awesome. And just the way that he does it, the way that he plays is awesome. And it's, it's kind of bucking a lot of trends. He is someone who shoots mid range jump shots, which are like kind of a lost art form. A lot of guys shoot threes or they're big, bigger guys that spend their time around the rim. Uh, and he's hitting 16, 18, 19 footers. And like, He's so good with it that, you know, he's on the scouting report. He's like the first guy and they're like, you can't let him get to this spot and this spot on the court. And he still gets there every time. And, you know, uh, one of the things that is great too, is that like in the off season, when he signed with the bulls to a pretty big contract and he's like a little bit older, he was in San Antonio for a few years where he kind of like wasn't on the main stage and was playing well, but not, you know, maybe superstar level. And so people were like, the signing is terrible. I mean, I remember John Hollinger said the wrote a whole article breaking down numbers on how it was the worst signing of the off season. And look, now the bulls are in first place and he's a fucking legitimate MVP candidate, which is crazy. But uh, George, as someone who's not like, you know, a, a crazy Chicago Homer like me, um, what are you? Uh, I hope, I hope you are also uh enjoying it because it's it's pretty impressive what he's doing right yeah now. it is kind of neat i mean like he he definitely eats off of uh of twos and like uh inside 22 feet um uh the other day he shot 15 for 21 from the uh from the floor which is pretty impressive considering like majority of the points are not dunks and not layups are just 10 to 15 feet up high now. degree of difficulty so he's from like he's like honestly like a throwback from another era which is kind of rad um uh I know that they are half a game up and they get Alex Caruso and uh, Lonzo Ball back in the next like two weeks. So that, 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 that half a game could possibly go to like another, to another uh, game. I personally would probably vote for him for MVP considering that like they are leading the East and the other two uh, front runners for MVP, which would be uh, Jokic and Embiid are currently either third or fourth place and the Denver Nuggets, which are in fifth or sixth. So, I mean, like, uh, it's it's coming out of nowhere. It's kind of rad to see like a, somebody in their late th- or like early thirties, so it's like become like a like a national thing. I mean, like a, the fact that he's uh, some of his stats are are up there with like Will Chamberlain, um, uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, the fact that he scored eight is it eight straight uh, with thirty five points. Eight yeah, straight. there's only like six hundred people yeah. in the history of the NBA have ever done that, so it's kind of cool. And one of them is Will. One of them is Jordan. Yeah, which is insane. Like it's yeah. He's in rap right there, so super cool. All right, what's next, George? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Super Pump, which is on Showtime. Um, it's the new uh, Levine and Compliment show. Uh, I am a Billions fan, but I'm also kind of hate watching it. But I'm looking forward to Super Pump because it's about the rise and fall of uh, Uber and, in particular, Travis Klonick, who was like the founder of Uber. So um, I know we have uh, we have a friend coming on in, in a few weeks who's on the show. We're going to talk briefly about the show. What have you heard and what have you seen about the show, Dave? Well, it looks pretty interesting. I mean, the uh, the trailer is pretty good. And like I've been it's been on my radar because, as you mentioned, our friend Aaron Ruth uh, um, actually partnered to Sebastian, who was on a few weeks ago. Uh, she's going to be on in a couple of weeks. Excited to get her in here. Um, so I've been and she's in it. And so I've been excited about it for a while. And it looks fun. You know, it's like, you know, I don't a lot of these people like. I don't know if you've seen some of the documentaries about like Uber and stuff and some of these like big companies, it's kind of a, a similar story in a lot of them. Um, 
of like somebody who defrauded like investors and shit and like was power hungry and crazy. But like, I don't, I feel like we don't get to see Joseph Gordon Levitt as like an unlikable character very often. So I kind of interested in that. Um, cause I, I like him and, and, uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to kind of see him, him like, you know, bare his teeth a little bit, so to speak. Um, and also, uh, Uma Thurman as Ariana Huffington is, is, is gold mm-hmm. right there. So yeah, I'm excited about it, Georgia. You're, you're, uh, you're looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Not to say the word over again. I am super pumped, but what I'm looking forward to is the fact that like, um, for the most part, I like Brian Koppelman and uh, David Levine and what they do. They're 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 entertaining in a way that's sort of like it's only for like the, the handful of people that know what they're talking about. They're very reference heavy, which I thoroughly enjoy. It's like it's like a it's like side two of of a of a like a modest mouse trucker. Like what? It's like yeah. cool to know that. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Also, like we're in this weird kind of like age of TV now that we're like we're doing shows about events that aren't that long ago. I mean, like, like, uh, it's, I, I think it started with like, uh, the people versus OJ. That's from like OJ Simpson's trial was from like 1995. And now we're getting to a point where we're talking about things that happened like a handful of years ago. Now we have super pumped and a few, a uh, few months, we're going to have the show about uh, Elizabeth Holmes, which is about, uh, Theranos and like all of that stuff. So it's kind of a weird, we're in a weird, like, stage of tv is like something that's happening right now it could be a tv show a year from now which is really 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 bizarre so yeah. but yeah no i'm looking forward to it so uh also uh kyle chandler i don't see anything with kyle chandler i'm yeah 100 percent with you on he that plays, he plays bill Gurley, and uh for those who don't know bill Gurley is a uh kind of like a silicon icon silicon valley icon also six eight which is six eight yeah bill Gurley is six eight holy shit yeah, yeah. He's like the investor dude, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The money, the money man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the money guy. So it's like it's kind of weird that's like uh that one of the guys on Silicon Valley in Silicon Valley is a six eight kind of like ex basketball player, super nuts. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Sweet. All right, Dave, we're doing something new this week. Bartender's choice, and David is your week. We talked about the Bulls. Um uh, what else you got? What's, what's your bartender choice this week? All right. So I'm going to ask you a question and it's about like uh, working and stuff because I was thinking about this. I was going to ask you something else, but I actually during this conversation, I changed my mind because I wanted it to be more fun. Um, and I'm going to ask you, you work in a bar with a TV that's on silent um, that, you know, while you're playing music. And I want to know what your favorite thing to have on TV while you're bartending. Not that you watch it, but just like to have on. Or like the or 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 all also like a movie that will come on that you're like fuck I gotta like I do have to pay attention to this for like a second just a second because like I can't believe this is on right now. All right, so seeing that I'm an old guy and as an old guy I actually have cable. I have Spectrum. Shout out to Spectrum, whatever. So we have Spectrum at the bar I work at, and we play Turner Classic movies. And every once in a while, like a movie come on, I was like, oh shit, I should record this because. I love this movie. And the last time that happened, Dirty Dozen was on. Dirty Dozen is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I got like two minutes in. I was like, oh, shit, the Dirty Dozen is about to start? Nobody can get anything for the next like three hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I recorded that. And now the currently, currently the Dirty Dozen lives on my, uh, my DVR. So the answer to that is the Dirty Dozen, starting my man, Lee Marvin. 
yeah and like you could put it you could have it on without sound and like enjoy it for a couple of minutes you know while wow. certain certain scenes oh yeah i've seen it enough times that like i know it, like every everything that's said yeah you could probably do that yeah it always kills me <laughs> that like my two favorite characters die at the very end which, <laughs> yeah which is, is cassavetes and, and jim brown i mean 30 dozen they oh, don't man. they don't a lot not a lot of them make it yeah every time i watch it i'm like oh man is jim brown gonna make, is jefferson gonna make it this time Next time I'm at your bar, I hope that Dirty Dozen comes on because I w- I'm going to want you to like act it out. Yeah, one of the best movies ever. And also yeah. mildly ridiculous. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, George. I, that that satisfies my uh, my bartender's choice for the week. So you, you're, you're up with the next one. All right. I think that'll do it for Bar Talk. What do you say, George? Yeah, I think we're all tapped out. Let's go talk to Lucas. All right. Here is that. I was just hanging out. I was just with somebody who their friend has like this habit. Thank God I've never been with them when this happened, but like to see somebody that he recognized, like a celebrity or someone that he recognizes and go up to them and be like, big fan, <laughs> because that always goes over well. I, I did that to Guru uh, from Gangstar because uh, I just, I was backstage at a Common Sense show at Roseland Ballroom. And I don't normally do that. And I did it. And he was like, just, he was in like the lurches of Roseland. I don't know if you were backstage there, but there's like, it's kind of a big backstage area. And he was super skinny. And I, I remember just being like, I didn't quite recognize it. I was like, oh, I was a big fan. And then he died like probably a month later. Yeah. I, that was, that always spooked me a little bit to where I'm like, if I see it and it's someone that truly like, made some form of an impact on me i i do go up to them if it's just like famous person or whatever like i don't yeah yeah. but if it's like someone that like you know you got me through some shit you you did like i after that moment i i I do go up to people now because i i was just that spooked the fuck out of me yeah yeah that's i i kind of feel the similar way first of all i love that you called him common sense uh which is his his actual his actual name, especially if you're from Chicago and born in the '80s, like I am. I called him Lonnie, which he did not like when I was drunk on, on that tour because I was supporting my friend's band was opening for him on that tour. I was filming them, and we were drunk. I was like, "What's up, Lonnie?" And he was like, <laughs> <laughs> "We're not there." No, no, no. We don't. He doesn't go by Lonnie. That's like that was before uh, conversion and all that. He didn't like that. So, so got you. I'm sorry, common or common sense. He, I don't think he wanted to change the name. It was the the reggae band Common Sense sued him? I think right. Yes. Yeah. I don't think he would. He wouldn't have changed the name had it not been for that lawsuit. Yeah. 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 I once told the prodigy from Mob Deep. that I was that I had been listening to him since I was like a uh, 10 year old. <laughs> and uh, because the same, same kind of thing. Yeah. I was like, I saw him and I, I was like, I, it was actually, I was working at a bar and he was there. And like, I, I like did the thing where like he was in the hallway. So I was like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I was just like, Hey man, I just got to tell you, I've been listening to you forever. You're fucking awesome. And he was like, appreciate it. Love it. You know? And he had yeah. the whole, the chain down to his knees. Um, yeah. So, and then, yeah, he, he passed, uh, not like a, a year or two after. So definitely yeah. when you get those, when you get those moments, good to take them. Yeah. But don't go to, 
person you know nothing about and be like what you i what do i know you from that that's it's, never it's, good exactly yeah I, i've seen that happen before it's like you guys being both midwesterners lucas being from milwaukee and dave from chicago what is the quintessential common sense record um the quintessential common sense record is um like that's not that like uh what's the sec it's the second one yes to me. which is there's the record is resurrection right like the resurrection. it's called resurrection yeah. yeah 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 this i think I'm hundred percent on board with you. I think it's, just, it's the second one. Although his first, can I borrow a dollar? His first record, like great. That's a really fucking awesome. And it doesn't, it's, and you can see, like, if you listen to it now, like you could see, you could understand the evolution, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, pre, you know, Jay Dilla, pre, pre the Jay yeah. Dilla meeting. Um, and, but no ID oh, all over resurrection yeah. and the like watermelon man and resurrection and like so that. Good. It was at, it was, Midwest doing the soul sampling. It's Kanye blueprint before Kanye did was he's probably he's probably like 12 years old or whatever when that when that came out. And it's just like like we we love Kanye, but that was that record was incredible. And it was illmatic, but it wasn't illmatic. Like it was its own thing to me. So I love yeah. And it was like our like Midwestern thing, you know, and like, yeah, no ID, like there wouldn't be a common without no ID. Or a, a Kanye, rather, yeah, you know, because all that stuff. And he was also like dissing, like that was right before the Ice Cube feud. But he was like a battle rapper, like he had he had bars. He kind of also had the Biz Marquee cadence, I think, a little bit, but was like more lyrical. You know what I mean? Like I think he was done that way. And then I love like Water for Chocolate because that was right before I moved to New York, I think, or that. But I love that. The fact that all that stuff was done in Electric Ladyland, Voodoo, like Water for Chocolate, um, uh, Things Fall Apart. And I think there might have been one or two other records, uh, like the, maybe like the Bilal unreleased record and all that. I love that stuff too, but that doesn't feel like quintessential common to me. It just feels like uh, the it almost feels like Roots and Questlove and like that, like that perfect moment, but it almost feels like Voodoo part two in a way. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And, and just to speak for a second about the rough and tumbleness of him, like the first, like I, my brother and I, who's five years older than me, like we saw him a couple of times, the show, like more than once shows were stopped because common decked somebody on stage. Like, yeah. More than once yeah. common got into a fight with somebody and shows were just like the show's over, you know, back when, uh, it was the, the Aragon brawl room was, uh, an affectionate uh, hellhole that we used to go to in Chicago, but we would go to the rave, which was the Eagles ballroom, which was of also a former, like it was built to house the Milwaukee Nazi party in the 1930s. Great. There's a swimming pool in the basement that has like swastikas in the, in the, in, yeah, it's insane. Cause the German, the, the, the German influence of Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, they're not so proud about that part. Jeez. No, my buddy who who was he was in this band called Chester French that was signed to Star Trek when Common was signed to Star Trek, and they he took Common and he took like Quest Love and all them. He toured left. He's from Milwaukee. He took them down in the basement. They were just like, "Wait, what the fuck? I've been playing here for years, and I, I don't want to play here anymore." This <laughs> is so intense shit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Milwaukee. We got we got a lot to to get into with you. Was like, but it's a good segue from like being from Milwaukee and uh, tell us about your journey from. Being from the Midwest in Milwaukee, which is a great food town, by the way, to uh, to NYU and to New York. 
my journey, you know, the funny thing is like, so growing up in, and I actually, I grew up in Milwaukee, but I spent four years living in Champaign-Urbana because my mom uh, went to graduate school there when I was like, from like two to six, I guess when I was from, so I, um, which is weirdly like where I kind of started to fall in love with rap music. Cause I had babysitters that used to like, just take me to house parties and I used to get into these huge into like fat boys and all that. So that was like this huge, you know, indelible sort of impact. So I kind of started getting into rap more in this sort of Chicago sort of Illinois, um, scene, but then, yeah, I grew up in, in Milwaukee. Um, but I, but my mom and my dad broke up, uh, they got divorced in, you know, probably like 91 or 90. And she was date, she was dating a jazz musician who lived uh, on center street in Chinatown, um, across from the basically right where Brit pack was, which is kind of crazy, which is a theater that I used to mm-hmm. run in the 2010s, I guess. But, um, I would stay on his you know, floor throughout all the nineties, probably every couple months or so I'd come out to New York for a week and we'd go to like the Stussy store. We'd go to like Supreme and we'd go to like watch Beastie Boys concert. So I kind of had this like half New York thing and we were going to move to New York in 1995. We sold all of our furniture when I was a kid. We like emptied the house with the house on the market. We we're going to move to the uh, upper West side. And then, my mom broke up with her boyfriend and then we just moved back. We just stayed in our house with no furniture, which was like kind of nuts for a while. Uh, you know, fun, fun little, uh, single mom escapades. But so I've always been sort of like intrigued by New York and New York, uh, just arts and comedy and SNL, that whole pull when I was a kid, was pretty big and that whole thing. So yeah, like growing up in Milwaukee, um, yeah, I don't know. We, we, we did a lot of stuff. I did, I always, I was always, since he was a jazz musician, I had to play jazz as well. So I was a jazz trumpet player growing up, probably starting when I was 10 years old. And then my parents, before I was born, um, owned a theater in Milwaukee. Um, it was, um, called Century Hall and it was the sort of, it was like a comedy club and it was where like Willem Dafoe got his start at this place, which was kind of crazy. And a bunch of like, experimental theater stuff so they were friendly with a lot of the like improv and stand-up people so when i was a kid i would like from when i was seven eight nine ten or whatever i would do improv like lessons because they the guy who started second city this guy paul sills he moved to appleton um actually so we moved somewhere in uh, wisconsin but so he became friendly with my parents and so like we were connected to all the second city people and all that and it was just like very natural, just theater and comedy and music and all that stuff. And there's a thing called you're of comedy sports. You know what that is? Yeah. Is it? Sure. It's, an, it's, it's, an, big, it's like, Chicago. is it associated with too much light makes the baby go blind? Do you know them? They're like an improv troupe. I, yeah. So like maybe, I don't, I don't know what, so, so it's like, it's like short form. It's like a, the actual comedy sports thing is like to, uh, whose line is it anyway, but the guy who started is a dude named Dick Chud now. And he, what he was part of, he actually wrote Kentucky fried movie with the, um, with, with, uh, the Zucker brothers and Abrams. And then they like, didn't really 
mess with him anymore too much, but he's, he, he went to high school with my mom as did the Zucker brothers and Abrams. They all went to whitefish Bay high school and, um, he started comedy sports. And so we just had this thing that was this like cool improv thing when I was in, we had my high schools had teams that had these improv teams and you'd go to this place and you'd learn how to do comedy and improv and all that. And the teachers, when I was in high school, it was Dan Harmon and it was Rob Schraub uh, and a bunch of other people who've now gone on to be part of like community writers and people who write on Rick and Morty and all that. So we were like learning from Dan Harmon, you know, it was kind of crazy. So we go, and then they had this really dope um, improv slash comedy group called Dead Alewives, which they would do a, like a weekly show. And we go see that and like David Cross would drop in. You'd have like Ted Leo just come in and play like a set, like this random theater. It just was like very hip. And I was like, and I would like volunteer to like set up chairs and film them and shit. So I was just like, you know, I, I would go to hip hop shows, you know, at the rave. And I, I was just like always in culture. Right. So Milwaukee, it wasn't big, but there were like these little pockets of people who were really, you know, good. Clearly I've gone on to do good shit. And then, yeah, I just always targeted. I was like, I want to go to New York. I want to go to New York to do comedy. I want to go to New York to be part of the hip hop scene. I remember I wrote in my, I wrote like a whole thing about in my senior year yearbook about how I was like, how I was going to be a rapper. <laughs> it was very funny. Like I was like, it's definitely going to happen. It's you know, like it was a whole, that was, which is insane. Um, but um, I was just getting into making beats when I was um, in high school. So it was always this comedy because improv and freestyle kind of, there's like a element improvisation and I don't know. So it was always like this sort of thing. Like I was at this gravitational pull around comedy and, performance and and then yeah like apply to i kind of only applied to nyu and and thankfully i got in because i it would have been kind of but i was like either there or sarah lawrence um which i would have i think i would have been i would have been in college with key and peel <laughs> at the time which could have been cool um but um which is like sarah lawrence is what like slightly it's like 40 minutes north of the city or something like yeah. that right yeah there was also that weird cult that was apparently going on in that in the 2000s. I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So that brought me to New York, and you know, kind of a crazy time. I don't know. That 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 was like my little Milwaukee microcosm was just growing up eating real, like you said, unhealthy food, um, <laughs> super unhealthy food. Performance. I you know I was actually a journalist too. I like worked at the this independent newspaper. I was just doing. I was doing everything. <laughs> it's kind of insane. Like I was like, when I look back at it, like I was. I just every moment of my life was completely programmed. Like from when I would wake up to when I would go to sleep to school. It was making. I was in a hip hop group. I was in a comedy group. I was doing stand up when I could. You know. Um, I drew comic books. I, you know, it was, it was a lot. So it was, yeah. And, and my parents were part of that art scene, which was cool. They were sort of like benefactors and their, their friends were all part of that art scene. So it was, it was cool to be able to like, it was that big, big fish, little pond thing, I guess. It was like, it was a good way to have access to lots of different lanes. Like even the mo American movie came out um, at when I was in high school and we, the filmmaker that came out of the university of uh, Wisconsin, Milwaukee and, um, that's the guy who ended up going on to do, he just did the, um, Chris Smith. He just did the, we work doc, but he also did the crazy 
uh, fire festival documentary as well. Um, and I got to meet Chris and learn about documentary filmmaking from him and his professor, who was like my mom's best friend from high school. And yeah, so it was just all these like weird, like you had like a lot of access because there was just wasn't a lot going on, you know? So it was cool. And then I yeah ate, ate probably too much uh, Greek food and Mexican food and all the, all the delicious stuff that I, I was like a big kid back then. And uh, yeah. Milwaukee Midwest. I mean, it comes with the territory, <laughs> fried food. And, it's so cold. Yeah, exactly. It's so cold. Yeah, you, you need it. Chicago is always like, to me, like it felt so big. It felt like such a big city. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, it's just like a lot of places where like, once you get in your rhythm, you know, it's more, it's about the neighborhoods and like your, 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 uh, you know, your daily uh, world isn't isn't as big as the the world of the city you know so like you're still like refined yeah but i mean you know just growing up in it you don't you don't ever think about that and uh you know so i went to college in boston and i got there and i'm like this is tiny this is small you can walk walk this shit in like an hour milwaukee feels like boston in that way too and i think in that similar way like in the art scene in boston everybody kind of know it's like boston or it's more like a you know, like a like a Raleigh or something. Yeah, it's it feels like everybody knows each other for for better or for worse. It's like a small scene, totally. Which is yeah, yeah. it's like a pro anacon, cool. depending on you know, depending on certain things. But it's interesting to hear you like sit talk about uh, how you did a bunch of different things and were into a lot of different uh, mediums when you were younger. Because like doing some research and and looking up your credits, it seems like you've you've continued. Uh, through you know you you have credits as a writer composer producer can you tell us about like your you know your trip after after nyu and like how you kind of transitioned to that into a career and of course working for um, yeah for will smith at overbrook entertainment as well yeah yeah um so so i was doing stand-up and sketch comedy at nyu and we had a show that was really popular. Um, I was associated with the, the humor magazine. So I was also drawing cartoons. It was like, again, it was like, doing, wait, I'm doing too much. And on top of that, I would also go and uh, I was trying um, to get beats placed on like indie rap stuff at the time as well. I, I, I had one beat with, I, I, I was connected, you know, Master Aces. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like Master Ace, you sort of like, was close to doing a bunch of a bunch of my tracks and then he invited me to the studio and i went i ended up going to like um camera which studio it was like in the fit in like 54th street or something and this was like all like my junior year which is cool and i would go and hang out at the wnyu and i'd run into like necro and all these dudes and it was um i think it was bobito's no bobito was at was at um columbia i can't remember whose show it was but yeah, I would go. And so I was doing all these different things. And at the time I was truly trying to intern somewhere. I, my freshman year, I was able, I was an intern at Mass Appeal magazine for like a little bit, like maybe a month and a half. And I was supposed to do it my sophomore year. And then like 9-11 happened. And I was just like, eh, I just stopped going to work. I was like, I'm good. I'm not doing that anymore. Uh, but, uh, which was irresponsible, but it was crazy. Like to think about Mass Appeal still still kicking. I wouldn't have guessed there was a lot of those kinds of indie publications. My sister was good friends with. Um, I think their publisher was this guy Stephen at the time, who was. Do you remember Frank One Five One? You know what that is? It was like another graffiti 
magazine. Like I used to collect magazines all the time, all those like art magazines and indie magazines. So, so her friend, it was, he was out of the Portland scene. So anyways, I ended up being an intern for Eastern conference records, my, my sophomore and junior year, uh, which, which entailed, I don't know if you remember the high and mighty that was their label. It was like adjacent to Def Jux. So it got a lot of like Def Jux shows and LP shows and Cage was signed to that label at the time. So I'd sell like Cage merch. I'd go to Mr. Eon's apartment and do Photoshop for their album covers or whatever. I'd do like little things here and there. I would Beetlejuice from Howard Stern show was signed to their label. So I'd sell like Beetlejuice merch and he'd come out and yell at me, which was, I thought <laughs> Yeah. Like, you know, I sell the shirts fast enough. I'm like, oh, and I would just laugh. Like, you're hilarious. I love you, you, Juice. Um, But um, so then I was like, okay, I got to level up. And I desperately wanted to get an internship at The Daily Show, which was really hot at the time. And um, I went to college with Aziz. And like, Aziz not only was already a stand up, already like blowing up a little bit, he also got the internship at The Daily Show. I was just like, what the fuck? Or I was so annoyed. And then someone was like at the intern office said, well, there's this um, talk to Comedy Central because there is this other show, Chappelle's show. And I was just like, oh, okay. I, I Season one had come out and I hadn't seen it because I didn't have cable. And it wasn't really like a huge show at the time. Um, so between the two seasons, they said, check it out. I said, cool, cool. And then I, then, like, I tried to get something going and then they didn't really like no one responded to me. And then um, I was doing a stand-up set at um, there was an NYU sort of like sort of club performance space that they called the ultraviolet. It's on like, it's right across the street from the library and there was big windows. And I recognized the guy who did the robot. I ended up watching the first season of Chappelle show. And I recognized the guy who did the robot character from, the Chappelle show outside the window. And so I literally was like, I told the audience, hold on. And I put them on. Oh, I, I, I had him come into the, to the venue and I said, aren't you the guy that from the Chappelle show? And I did like some weird crowd work stuff. And he did the robot for us on stage. It was pretty funny. And then after the set, I said, I'm trying to get a hold of um, the show for a long time. Can you like, how do I, how do I do this or whatever? Like, how do I get it? And he goes, let me put you in touch with Neil Brennan. And so I was doing these stand-up shows at the time. And so I ended up asking, I emailed Neil Brennan and I asked him to do stand-up on one of my shows. We had like these crazy shows at the time. Cause we like were kind of like the big, it was us and Hammercats, which was Donald Glover's um, sketch group at the time. We were both had these big, big shows and we were like competing and it was, oh, them and so we had these like hundred plus person, like basement NYU kid. Like if you think now, like, I would love to do a show like that, right? As a stand-up now and you're in your thirties or whatever, like that sounds pretty fun. Like a bunch of college kids, like, you know, primed, not too drunk, good shows. And so I emailed Neil and he said, he had actually, Neil never did stand up until the season one of Chappelle show. He was just starting, um, which was, you know, obviously that was like 20 years ago. So he's, he's been going for quite some time now, but at the time he was just getting going. He had actually only written stand up, So he was like, yeah, he wanted to come and do the show. And we had had like people like Eugene Merman on, we'd had a, we had a couple big names on prior, but Neil came and did the set. He did really well. Um, and he only, he was like, had a very short set cause he just didn't have a ton of material at the time, but it was great. You know, 
And I just like, after this show, I, you know, we were like, Oh, good job. You know, sort of dabs him up or whatever. And then I was like, I said, Hey, can you, would you, would you hire me on the Chappelle show? And he said, sure. And I was like, Oh, that's amazing. And this was like May. The next season was supposed to start in September. And literally like I would email him and email him and email him and he'd never respond back. Be like, I'm like, when do I start? And all this shit. And I literally never heard back from him. Um, and then the intern office called me and said, oh, you're supposed to start. You were like supposed to start today. Like, where, where were you? And <laughs> Neil never told me anything. By the way, this is like a, this has been a thing with him for like I like years later, he booked me on a show and then never told me where the venue was. Like, this is kind of his, his MO a little bit in a good way. I think he just doesn't, I think he's super, um, he's, yeah, he's not the best like email communicator, I guess. But ultimately- <laughs> He pulled through, which was very nice. And he gave me, and so through that show, I ended up working on season one as an intern or season two as an intern. And then once I, that was my senior year of college and I like loved it so much. My job was to basically like read scripts. I mean, that was a crazy season too. Like that was the Rick James season. I was there when they recorded a bunch of that stuff, which was kind of iconic. I was there when they did the Dylon sketch or whatever, which was nuts um and just being around dave who's a genius you know and being around uh neil who's a genius and then by the way like you know patrice i think was in that season you know like greer barnes or whatever was in that season like people who are great just just it was just like being around geniuses and on top of that the music side um you know that was i was there for the kanye uh common the the food is another name of the song Yep. Yeah, I was at I was at the recording session because I had to I had to get the catering for that one, um, and for Badu. I remember like both Common and Badu were like had had very complicated food orders because it was like no sugar, no, no no like they basically wanted raw vegan food, and it was like 2004, and they were shooting that in Corona Queens, which was it was just impossible. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> what? Am I but we got it. We we figured it out. Um, and the food was great. I, remember, I think Kanye, I haven't finished watching Genius yet, but I remember he walked into our office with the guys filming the documentary about him. And we were just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Why do you have cameras? We were like, what the fuck is this? Um, that was crazy. Uh, the Beastie Boys did a performance that never aired, which was kind of nuts. But they did it on top of a, a bus. Um, there was, you know, like the music stuff was great. The, the Chappelle show was like, really, I didn't even know it, but it was exactly like my brain, right? It was hip hop, comedy, performance. It was just, it was just like the perfect inflection because people didn't realize how funny rap was. Even like Dave doing the like, Dave broke broke apart hip hop. Remember when he did the Nas, If I Ruled the World news sketch where it was like basically talked about how all the things he would, that Nas talked about would actually be horrible, <laughs> like free all the free all the uh, people behind bars. And he's like, they're they're killing people in the streets. Um, <laughs> like he just the idea. And, and I and the, I think that was the year that he was Nelson Mandela on the opening of uh, Talib's Reflection and Turtle album. Like I just like so Dave was that guy. And I have crazy memories of like teaching Dave how to make beats, which was kind of a fun moment. Wow. Also showed dave uh how to find um uh, i can't remember who it was he made me look up porn on my work computer and i was just like dave <laughs> i don't, I don't want to do this but okay 
I think it was like Vita Guerra's like sex tape or something like that. I was like, please, sir, I don't, I don't want to. It would have been, you know, uh, but but he didn't have a computer, so I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, Dave was Dave was Dave was great, and and like he used to call me the hardest working man in show business. Kind of, I thought as a joke, but I realized like I was always the first person. I was the front desk person and the intern and the script coordinator, and I would fix all the printers and the Xerox machines and I helped with news. So all that, so that was encouraging. And he also um, let me submit some jokes for the show. And, and he just remember him telling me I was funny was like insane. It was like, I, I carried that around with me. Like, just be like, what? You think I'm funny? Like, that's an insane moment. And so we did season two and then we did season three and we were, things were like, kind of, he didn't really want to do it. And, um, and you know, I don't want to, I don't want to speak out of turn. I think everything that Dave has said about, you know, that season, I think, I think makes a lot of sense. I think we did, I didn't have a lot of visibility into what was going on at the time. I just remember, um, not, I just remember like there were moments where I was working and then moments where they were like, you're not coming in for a month and then coming back and forth. And then he was there for a while. We were shooting sketches. And then I just always remember being at the front desk. And then at that point I was the writer's assistant on that season um season three and um because i helped him and then we had a we had keith robinson and brian tucker helped out they didn't write per se but they like we had them on the payroll just like helping as producers and so i would get the newspapers and help them figure out like jokes and whatever and i just remember dave came coming down to like that sort of writer's room for a little bit and, and chopping it up and then I go up to the front desk and he's like, uh, he's like, he looked at me and he goes, don't do anything crazy this weekend. And I go, same to you, Dave. And he just started laughing. And I was like, what? And he just kept laughing and laughing. And then he left. And that day he like apparently took out, you know, thousands of dollars from an ATM and flew to South Africa. And then that was, that was it. That was the end of the show. Um, and so when all that happened, um, you know, I'd already been doing a little bit of this music stuff and all that. We, had, you know, basically they really were trying to get the the show still out the door. Um, Neil was helping out. We were all trying to figure out what to do. And at the time, the first two seasons, Questlove was the composer, and he didn't come back for season three because he was busy. I think he might have been just beginning his Fallon residency. So they brought Dilla on, and the music that Dilla composed for season three, well, Dilla passed away. And then that became Donuts. All the music and all the sketches was just the Donuts CD. And Ma Dukes was kind of like, I don't think it's appropriate to use this as your interstitial music. On top of the fact that it was all samples that had not been cleared. And so the show was supposed to come out at that point on Comedy Central, like in a month, maybe in a couple of weeks, we would start delivering episodes. So me and my friend Jared, who was the editor, we were told... You guys need to just, I mean, we hear you guys make music. Can you just recompose every single one of the songs for all six of these episodes in like the next 32 hours, basically? So we like got a studio space or whatever. I think it was in Jared's editing suite. And we just listened to music and we would just play the, the same BPM and we just make stuff. And that became the first 200 songs in this you know, music library called Jingle Punks. And that was my first, uh, kind of it was kind of bittersweet because it was like helping them delete dilla from the show which dilla just didn't want to be in the show so i don't you know it wasn't like uh they didn't want him in there but it was kind of bizarre i was like i'll never 
a hero, definite hero. And I was just like, what? This is crazy. Um, and we went there and, and uh, yeah, we made a bunch of sort of interstitial hip hop music. And that was my first little foray, which was crazy. Awesome. Yeah. And then uh, after that, like we did stuff for he part of that then became at, at that same moment. It was right when DVD sales were blowing up. And also on top of that was when MTV got this huge lawsuit from all the labels where they said they originally had this deal with labels. Do you remember you'd go and watch the real world and it would just be like a re- an actual song as the background music? Well, um, that was because MTV was sort of skirting having to license the music because they played the music on the on, the, on videos. And there was this tit for tat rule. And then at a certain point, as MTV played fewer and fewer videos, that labels were like, why are we, we, you have to license the music now. And so overnight when they had all these library, like when they wanted to start selling real world season one through seven or whatever on DVD on top of just airing it on cable, they were like, they lost this lawsuit. And they said, overnight, you guys have to replace all the music. We need, we need a library to come in and replace all the music. So Jared and I just replaced all, <laughs> all the music for all these reality shows. And so that was like another like we, I mean, I've, I have like 300, 400 songs in this library. It's crazy. And so we just use that music. And then at the same, literally at the same time, like the Kardashians was starting as was the real housewives and all these other shows. And so they all used our music. And so like the first, I think like six seasons or whatever of Kardashians, I have like, I have like tracks in every episode. Fun uh, tri- trivia answer. <laughs> I know. I've yeah. never seen the show before, but uh, neither have I. <laughs> cool, you know. I like that 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 my like when I sit down and try to like be passionate and make something, it just is it's perfect background music for Kim <laughs> Kardashian. I just that, yeah. there's something about me that that's just yeah. A lot of people heard it, you know. So, well, sure, yeah. It's just it's a little bit of a yeah. yeah it's a little bit of a gift. It's a gift yeah. and a curse. So look, so we're going to jump into like what you're what you're what you're working right now. So uh, you currently are working yeah. at Overbrook. Um, I watched. Well, it's, we're actually we're at West Westbrook. It's so Westbrook, Overbrook. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I watched the pilot for uh, Bel Air yesterday, and if somebody had told me that like nice. it's like there's going to be a dramatic retelling of a TV show that I've seen every episode of that that I've always found to be very very fun, I would be like, this doesn't. That, why would you do that? This doesn't work. Uh, not to slurp you anything, it totally works, and it's actually kind of incredible. So, uh, walk us through like yeah. the, the the beginnings of that to where it is now. Of, of Bel Air, yeah. yeah. Well, more, there's a kid named Morgan Cooper who's another Midwesterner. He's from Kansas City, and he was he's just a dope dude. So he was a commercial DP, uh, you know, great with cameras and. He did. He directed music videos for like local um, musicians and rappers and stuff, and had done some cool stuff. And he's just like, and would also go to New York and LA and, and sort of. He was like on the rise in this sort of as a DP, and he really wanted to cut a name for himself as a storyteller and a and a director. And so he made this spec trailer uh, called Bel Air. And, and, you know, there have been other sort of like dramatic, I think there was like a lot of, there was memes where people were like college humor would do like, Oh, what if it was a comedy or what if, you know, da, da, da. and I think he like took that meme and he had partnered with, I think there was like, a 
distribution side that he partnered with to like help it go a little bit viral. But he, I think he just took it really seriously in a good way. And he like made this trailer and uh, we had launched Will's social probably like a year and a half right before, before that. And so we had, there was a lot of interest. People, people do this all the time, but they'll, they'll make stuff with Will in it now because they're hoping that we're going to repost it. And, you know, Morgan did this thing and we just have like all of our Google alerts and all the shit set up immediately. So when it was, when things got posted to YouTube, I get an email saying like, Will Smith posts, I saw the thing, when it had 10 views, basically. And we immediately sent it to Will. We immediately, we, we loved it. We sent it to, I immediately hit up Morgan and said, we were like, let's come to LA. We flew him to LA in 2019, I believe. And met with him, um, to, you know, he FaceTimed with Will. They like talked for a little bit and then, yeah, we basically did it. It took a while to do the deal because I think there was a lot of parties involved in the first uh, Fresh Prince. It was like getting all the parties involved. And honestly, at that point, after we brought everybody on board, we flew to Miami. We filmed this like, we basically filmed some packaging stuff, some like marketing moments and some vlogs and things like that just to like get people excited, put that out into the world. We, uh, Peacock was the obvious home in a lot of ways because that's, you know, NBC was where the first show was. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think so. Our head of TV is this guy, Terrence Carter, who used to, who's, who had run uh, Fox before that. He he did Gotham, which I think is a similar, in some ways, like taking a piece of IP and sort of blowing it up uh, in, in a different way, right? Batman, and it's like sort of this prequel story. And then he also did Empire. And then he assembled a good team. And honestly, they, you know, you, you can read about it and like that they like they had some bumps in the road for sure. There were some showrunners that came on and left. Um, they brought on um, Malcolm Spellman a little bit, who did um, I think he did Fal- Falcon of the Winter Soldier uh, for Disney Plus, and he's like a dope. He's a comedian, I believe, um, maybe an LA comic. Um, but he he stayed out as a as a producer, and then it's these guys TJ and Rasheed, along with Morgan, were the showrunners. And honestly, it was all going well, but I think if they had not, that cast, I think ultimately is really strong and they didn't cast those people until four days before they were shooting the pilot, which was craziness. So like, you know, pilot was good. We knew Morgan was going to, Morgan directed the, the pilot episode. I thought he did a great job. I think really like what I like about that pilot episode is it has a lot of layers, like from the Philly stuff to, to the Bel Air stuff, the way that it like sort of flows through the world the issues it tackles are it, it's reminiscent of the original, but it's also updated all good. But then I think really that cast is just, was fun, you know? And so I think mm-hmm. that it, it kind of like, it's one of those ones where I was actually just talking with one of the big, one of the producers, this guy, David Borstein, you know, yeah, there was, there were some bumps in the road and that's usually when you have something special. It's that it's, that's when it's going to be kind of hard when, when it's an easy project and everything is smooth and easy. Usually like nobody gives, gives a fuck. That's when, you know, that it's probably, there's like that feeling like this has been too easy. And then it's like, that's what, that's what nobody cares. Usually when it's, when it's difficult, it means there's usually a lot of people who care and are fighting and there's lots of opinions. Um, this one, I don't think it was fighting. I think it was just like, they were trying to get it right. And um, they have, they got a two season pickup. So from the get go, which is crazy. Like, no, I don't think, I don't think ever a show um, of this size has been picked up. I think, I think House of Cards was a two season order as well, but um, since House of Cards, like there, so we knew going into it that there was going to be two, two seasons. So they have another 10 to go 
um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, uh, it's a big, it's a big one. It's one of our big swings. That and King Richard are two of our biggest swings as a company. Cause, cause like you were mentioning Overbrook, Overbrook was Will's previous production company. And, um, he wound down Overbrook around 2018, 2019. And so Westbrook started in 2019. So we really started off as a social media company and then added this film department and this TV department, along with the consumer product stuff, like the Bel Air athletics and all these things. But like, yeah, like this is a huge deal. And when things are big and like you said, like off based off of press release, it's like, I don't know, dramatic reimagining of a comedy. Like, you, um, but you know, it, the show really does deliver. It's, it, it goes its own direction, which is great. And again, like, I think the acting is what, what makes it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the, that's the story of I it. Mean, it's, uh, you know, there's probably little bumps and, and, and curves along the way, but it's, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was cool. It was cool to see it start on, on social also and go to, go to TV. Like that's, that's become pretty common these days it's sort of like the instant mm-hmm. route i mean even what you're seeing with with quinta with abbott elementary which is just absolutely a huge show right now like i love it's kind of commonplace that you have these digital creators sort of taking over hollywood now which is it's cool it's like democratized in a lot of ways totally and it's also like pretty cool that you know will and and you guys with and the team would be like receptive to something that you know some you that somebody had, who had no connection, you know, and just produced a, a piece and was like, what do you guys think? And you guys took it and ran with it. That's the, one of the things I got to say about Will is that he, he's, he's like incredibly open, not, not even just open, but like driven by trying to find the, those, those outsider voices, you know, he's a big, so think about Will coming into the set of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as a dude who literally, you know, he told the story on lots of places about how he like auditioned for Quincy Jones and all that. And you can read the story in his book, but literally if you pull it out a little bit, it's a guy who's never done any acting and he jumps into, you know, starring in an NBC sitcom and it works. He was the ultimate believer in beginner's luck, right? The idea that you're first, that, that beginners have a, have an energy of wanting to prove themselves and it's through it's almost through success that you begin to lose that energy right and so he so i have have this thing i've been talking to him about too where i believe it's this idea about i think huge hugely successful things oftentimes require a confident novice and a uh open-minded master right and so will at this point was an open-minded master and morgan was the confident novice at a certain point, Will became went from this confident novice, even in Bad Boys, right? He's a guy, he's never in a movie before, and he's just like, I don't care, right? That's like, it's like the Kanye of the world. He's a confident novice. Jay is the is the master, right? Uh, did you Have you watched uh, episode two of Genius or whatever? Pharrell says, like, even when people say, like, you know, you're, a, you're great, that's when you doubt yourself more. It's almost like you gotta, you can't let go of that confident like but kind of in the back of your mind it's not, it's not about being an imposter syndrome but it's about like you're so you you don't know what you don't know and that powers you to do shit that you don't know is actually outside of your the realm of possibilities you know what i mean and so i always take it that with me too like that's what powers me is to try to find people in my life and that that could be comedians that could be composers that could be 
you know, filmmakers or whatever. That's what I think my, my mission is, is, you know, why I'm put here is I want to help people push themselves to, to, to greater planes. And so I'm trying to be, I've, I've gone from that confident novice in some ways, that guy that goes up to Neil Brennan and asks for a job. Now I, someone comes up to me and asks for a job. I'm like, sure, let's figure it out. Which, you know, has happened a, a, several times where people have just cold called me and I'm like, you seem cool. Like, let's figure it out. Like, you know, I know not to be like, some of those people might be crazy sometimes. So you, you, you gotta do a little bit of vetting, but like, but still it's like, you know, a little bit of crazies can't hurt. So I think, I think the big thing that I learned all the time from Will is like, he lives to be in that open space, you know? And I think, I think a lot of gatekeepers in the entertainment industry, but in any industry can get really complacent around doing things appropriately or following the appropriate trail of how to get somewhere. And it's like, no, you've got to stay open to like, we oftentimes will say, well, I had to do this when I was coming up and he didn't have to. And it's like, that's good. It's good that they don't have to do all that stuff. It's good. They don't have to go through what you had to go through. That, that, that's because you cleared the path. You're holding the door open for them. Like that, that means it's a, it's a better world than what you had to go through. And like, that's what I try to do. And I try to, I try, you know, I, you know, so to your point, like, you know, that's we, a lot of the things we end up working on, especially with talent, we try to bring on a young filmmaker. We try to bring on people who've never done anything. By the way, not just young, it could be someone who's older or different voice or, you know, unproven. And then our, my company, what I try to do is get people who are, who want to take that shot, those beginner luck people, and then surround them with insurance and, you know, production managers and, and, and all the stuff that they wouldn't normally have if they were like an indie producer. So that's, that's the goal. That's, that's sort of the shape of what my company is. And so, yeah, we're trying. Yeah. It's awesome. I mean, that's good team building, right? Like I, I love the way you said that with, you know, confident novice and, and uh, open-minded master. Cause that makes a lot of sense. Cause you do really need a mix of, of that kind of things to produce, you know, stuff that's really worthwhile. Yeah. You think I always think about even in hip hop, right? Like Nas on Elmatic was the confident novice, and then you had, you know, Search was the was was the A and R, and you had like you know all those producers were the masters, right? So it's like people question that those those moves, but sometimes when you have like it's almost like when Jay did his pre primo songs, they weren't as good as what Nas did because he was already he was too he was too good. It's almost like Jay's better on a Swizz beat when Swizz was unproven, you know, like I, I do think there's that alchemy of that, the, you know, coming to grips with that, you know, there's that little bit of like pull up, right. That spotlight like that. It really is important. You know, even like think about like, um, you know, even in rock, like the producers and the bands, right. When it's, when it's, when it's a, when it's Rick Rubin and it's the whatever, like, and it's an established band, it's not always the best thing. It's almost like if Rick pulls up, an unproven band or when it's you know an established band with an unproven producer like that yeah. becomes more exciting i really i really feel like that's there's there's definitely um there's definitely um exceptions to that rule but i i, I always think about you know and i think there's great moments in this movie by the way i think it, it has merit to it but like will will oftentimes talk about after earth as something that was tough for him right and i think about how M Knight was also a confident novice at some point in his career, as was Will. And I feel like After Earth was a moment where they were both like, 
becoming masters and they both thought they were, it was almost like they both were too good to be working together in some ways. Right. And it was almost like they both had too much to lose or like they, they almost knew to you. They almost knew too much. They knew everything that they didn't know on that project. And so like there was some choices that I think they would both have said could have made it a, a better and more lean in, you know, project, you know, there are flashes of great moments and there's great dialogue in there. I think people have come back recently, I think in the last year or so people have been saying how they, they've been defending that one, but I know Will always brings it up as like, it was a tough one, especially because his son was in there. Um, you know, very publicly, I think that, that he got, you know, smashed in the press for that. But I think about how, like, I think M night with, with Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis was the master and M night was like a first time director and, you know, six senses, pretty damn good right like that it's that alchemy of new director even like tarantino early on like you got to just stay stay abreast now there are definitely moments where it's just like you know if scorsese does something with de niro i mean i guess the irishman maybe with the exception but like there are people who are masters and multiple masters like working together that i think absolutely works and i think there's also just great like flash in the pen fully novice stuff but i do think on a consistent basis if you're feeling uninspired, look at where you are in, in the thing that you do and try to see if you're the master or the novice. And then how do you how do you pair yourself with somebody and collaborate with somebody that can fill that gap and push you in a direction that of, of either put going out of your comfort zone or filling in what you don't know. I think that's that to me is the is is, is important. That's that's wonderful. So Lucas, we brought you on for a reason, and we're gonna be talking about Will Smith rolls and suits. Because here at the Know Your Roles podcast, we, yes, <laughs> we like to two things that that, that, that simply have nothing to do with each other and make connections. That we each do five. Uh, I go first, David goes second, and you, as our distinguished guest, is going to go third. And seeing what it, I'm going to start off off the top rope with an elbow drop. The aforementioned bad boys and Mike Lowry. And I was thinking today when I was writing my uh, my answers and suit choices, I was thinking that like you know, bad boys is probably the Will Smith role in movie that I've probably seen the most. Uh, it's one of those movies that's like, if it's on TV, I'm like, oh shit, they're about to do the, that one thing. It's like, oh shit, they're about, they're about to shoot the, 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 the girl. It's like, oh shit, this is like uh, when you get a Michael Imperioli, I have to watch the rest of the movie. So for me, the Mike Lowry <laughs> and Bad Boys, Will Smith, that is the chicken noodle soup. It is always good. It's always wonderful. And, it, and I've definitely yeah. the soup I've had the most. Dave. I love that. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, all right. My first one is a Will Smith role. That's one of his early roles when he was definitely a confident novice. And I think it's some of the best, one of his best roles. And it's a great, he was, he was incredible in this movie. And that's the character of Paul in six degrees of separation. Yeah. I always used to go back to that movie, you know, because especially when Will Smith was like blowing up and becoming just this kind of larger than life figure, uh, you know, not a lot of people had seen that movie and it's really great. He's so good in it and his performance is so subtle. And I believe that it's pretty under, it's very underrated. And like I said, it's not as well known as, as a lot of his other roles, but there's a lot going on in it, which is why as a soup for me, it's lentil soup, uh -huh. a delicious, very underrated soup. It's not going to blow you away with flavor, but there's a ton of stuff going on in there. And yeah. it's underrated. So, yeah. I, yeah, I, my first one was also six degrees of separation, but I have a different suit. 
awesome. You that's that's what we love. You can I said repeat. six degrees of separation, and I said gazpacho because the character of Paul, who if you haven't seen the movie, he says he's Paul Poitier. He claims he's Sidney Poitier's son, but he's actually a a scam artist and it's based on a real guy who was on the Upper West Side scamming people saying he was Sidney Poitier's um, uh, son. By the way, I always ask Will what the best screenplay uh, is and I always forget his answer and then I always remember it. He says that the best screenplay, the first read he ever got was Six Degrees of Separation because it had been figured out as a play first, that's number one. And number two is Will was choosing between two films, Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag and Six Degrees of Separation. The Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag check was much larger. It's in his book. I think it was maybe, he talks about it. It was like a seven figure one. And the Six Degrees was very small. It was like basically working for like SAG minimum. And his his uh, longtime, you know, great friend, James Lasseter, who used to run Overbrook with him, he basically, this was the first time, James James was like, you have to take this role. And that's why, and he took the role and it really, it propelled him. But I think, I think Six Degrees of Separation, because Paul is a fancy imposter, I think it's gazpacho, because gazpacho is not a soup, it is juice that we drink out of a bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. There you go. Good answer, good answer. Uh, so my next one, I don't think is a great movie. Uh, I think it's a good performance. Um, uh, he was nominated for an Oscar for this. Uh, Spike Lee said he's like uh, Michael Mann made the decision to make Muhammad Ali boring, which oh. I thought was like, which was like, I thought was like a, a nice little like dagger at Michael Mann. I was like, holy shit! I thought, don't you guys know each other? Anyway, uh, Ali, I think Ali is a good performance. I don't think it's a great movie, which is why I think it's a tomato soup of soups. I think tomato soup is good. I don't think it's great. You need the other components, maybe a grilled cheese or some other things to go with it. So Will Smith uh, and Ali is the uh, tomato soup. Mm. Nice. Um, All right. My next one is a very, very small role. It's a cameo, but I had to mention it because I thought it was hysterical. And it was one of those moments where I remember watching the movie in the theater and all these people are popping up in cameos and then you're like, holy shit, it's Will Smith. And that's Anchorman 2, where he plays Jeff Bullington, ESPN reporter in like the massive like melee of the, you know, the fight at the end, which yeah. is hysterical. Uh, so over the top. It's great. And anytime I, I'm going to reference this later, but like anytime you get to see Will Smith yelling something <laughs> is like a, is a good time. Yeah. Um, and that's why I went with not a soup, but a condiment for a soup of oh. one of my favorite soups, which is ramen. And what I'm comparing the role to is the garlic chili oil that mm. you get with ramen, a very tiny amount, but it makes the whole thing that much better. And that's probably my favorite part of Anchorman too, that scene, because it's hysterical. So, yeah. Um, um, I'm going to go with, so I... Uh, I think one. Of, I think probably my favorite Will Smith movie, um, and I also think um, I think great performance, and I think just a like I I, I just think it's really good. It blends a lot of his um, of things that he does well, but I also just think it's a fun. That's a not not a fun hang. It's a it's just like a good good movie. Um, is I Am Legend, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm picking this in the order because I actually disagree with George. I actually think I Am Legend is tomato soup 
um, which I associate with, I said, it's a single serving can of Campbell's tomato soup because it reminds me of pure loneliness because it's what I used to serve myself when I would come home and no one would be my house because I'm la- I was a latchkey kid and I would have to serve myself Campbell's soup. So it reminds, it makes me feel like I was the last person on earth, basically. Like I, like I was last. But I would say that tomato soup to me is legendary. Okay. All right. Oh, right on, right on. That, that may very well be one of the deepest connections we have had to a, to a comparison in the games that we have played. So I, I just want to give you some props for that, Lucas. That's great. And as a former Lashkey kid with a mother who was a full-time nurse, I hear you. Yes. I'm with you. I am, I'm also just another tomato soup kid in the, in the pot here. So I like a tomato it. soup. It's good. It's salty. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the tears, you know, from being. Yeah, lonely. exactly. Yeah. Extra <laughs> <laughs> um, no. That was me. That was just me. Not, not projecting. Um, George. Uh, so my next one is uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Like I am a sucker for a well written rom-com. And one of the things I love about rom-coms is like, if I could believe them as a couple, then I'm totally on board. So Alex Hitchens, Hitch is one of the dopest movies of all time. I've had conversations <laughs> with Joe Mandy about this, and we're both like, dude, Hitch is amazing. I actually do a joke about how much I love Hitch. So for me, the Alex Hitchens character uh, of Soups uh, is the clam chowder. I fucking Ooh. love clam chowder. Uh, and it's, it's Hitch, I, I can, I can t- do, we gotta, we're, we're running out of time, but I, I can do so much how much how, how I love Hitch. And Hitch is a good hang. It is a good time. So great hang. Great. Good movie. It's so good. Um, All right. My next one is another role that I really love from a movie that I I think is a really solid movie. And that's Robert Clayton Dean from um, uh, Enemy of the State, which is uh, an awesome, like tight thriller. And you got Will Smith doing like, you know, he, he's, he's dialed back a little bit. Like he, he's playing like a pretty like professional, but he's like, it's a character that like finds himself in this extraordinary situation and it like goes, mm-hmm. you know, off a cliff kind of. And then next to like the grumpy fucking asshole character of Gene Hackman, who was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like all these ups and downs and it's a lot of flavor in there which is why it's hot and sour soup. Um, mm. He is coming in hot and Gene Hackman is very sour and uh, <laughs> strong players. And that's a great, that's a great movie. Great hang as you guys would say. So <laughs> That is a great hang. I'm going to go with um, uh, pursuit of happiness, which he's a world been nominated for three Oscars and the one that's upcoming And each time is when he's played a real person. And this is, he plays the character of Chris Gardner. Um, and boy, it'll, it'll make you cry as does uh, a spicy Tom Yum soup. So I said, uh, Tom Yum soup is the pursuit of happiness of soups. Awesome. Yeah, that will, there you, you go. will cry if you get it down the wrong pipe. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 got that it has that like deep back of your throat spice. It's really yeah. and then you just start clapping really slowly while you're crying. Yeah. Yeah. George. All right, for my fourth choice is a movie that that's already been mentioned, but I'm gonna give it actually a, like an even harder suit because I think it's like a pretty dope performance. 
and that is Robert Neville and, and, and I Am Legend. Yeah. And for me, that's one of my favorite movie experiences of all time. When he gets caught with the uh, when when the one of the zombies catches him, the audience at the theater I was at, they all went, "Oh no." <laughs> Which is which is which is one of my favorite things is like the fact that he's like he's acting against no one is like just a dog a little dog that he eventually has to the, the murder. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, for me, that soup. There's a lot going on there. He's got to do a lot of work because he's the only one in it until like the very last yeah uh, twenty minutes of the movie. So for me, Robert Neville and I Am Legend that is tortilla soup. There's Ooh. just so much going on there, and I'm a big fan of all of us. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, my next one is Will from Fresh Prince. I mean, got to do mm. it. Iconic. I think we're all in that age range. We had it in our childhood, and like George had said, yeah. I I also have seen every episode, and it was like uh, just a staple, childhood staple. But it's yeah. it's also it's a show that like it's a comedy, and it's very funny, and like it's very light in in a lot of ways and fun, but some episodes are deal with a lot tougher stuff. And like you were saying, Lucas, uh, you know, which is like the through line from the, the, the new uh, incarnation that you guys are doing now. And like, I always yep. appreciated that. So it's, I had to think of a soup that's like kind of light and fun, but also you can make it a meal. And it's a soup that you have already mentioned and maybe disagree that it's a soup, but it's gazpacho because it's people, it's something uh -huh. that people bring to like barbecues and shit. And like, they're like, Hey, just have some gazpacho. Cause it's a cold soup, but like it is served in restaurants as a main dish. So you can also have True. it. So Will Smith from, or Will from Fresh Prince is gazpacho. I love gazpacho, by the way. I just, I, I think it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't do what I think a soup is usually a warming you up, but I love, I think it's a good meal. You're right. It's it's right, polarizing. So. Like uh, a lot of people, just it cold soups aren't. Uh, it's a different thing. Different thing. <laughs> my uh, this is the fourth yes. one, right? Yeah. My fourth one is I think one of my favorite rewatch uh, movies. It's I think probably his most popular movie when we like you know you know talking to people on the street or whatever, um, and that's Bad Boys Two. Um, I think, you know, I love bad boys one probably a little bit more, but the action sequences and the puns, like, like when there's that, the cars fall off of the freaking you know, truck and he goes, that was off the chain. Like, it's just like the explosion and then the cheesiest pun in the world, uh, that combination. It's pretty fun. It's a fun, it, again, it's a fun hang. So I said, it's a French onion soup because it's explosively hot and cheesy at the same time. Bad boys nice. too. Nice. George. All right. So for my last one is like, it's a, it's a movie that I don't know if like many people enjoy or seen a bunch of, I've seen this movie a lot. So when I mentioned uh, Hitch, one of the things I love about Hitch is like, I believe that uh, Will Smith and Eva Mendez as a couple. One of the things I enjoy about this movie, my last movie, is Nicky Spurgeon's character in Focus, is I believe Will Smith and Margot Robbie as a couple. Like I enjoy the two of them together and it's just... And that movie is wildly entertaining. I'm not really sure why it's so good. I'm not really sure why many people didn't see it, but I think Focus is it's kind of awesome. So for me, the soup that I would compare Focus to in the Will Smith performance is potato soup. Not Ooh. something that people have had a lot of, but something that when they do see it and when they do have it, they're like, wow, that's pretty fucking good. Why haven't this been in my life the whole time? 
Yeah. Awesome. Um, All right. My last one is not one role. I kind of referenced this earlier, but it's a combination of roles. It's when I enjoy Will Smith probably the most. And it's when he plays a guy yelling, (laughs) a guy yelling, whether it's, well, whether it's what the hell is that smell or get off my car or uh, now that's how you're supposed to drive or any of those great language. Mm -hmm. Fred, what are you doing here? Yeah, Fred, yeah, Fred from, from I Am Legend, right? What are you doing here, Fred? Um, yeah. yeah. I could have been at a barbecue. Um, <laughs> I could literally just watch that for hours and hours, which is why as yeah. a soup, it's just the it's just the cheese crouton on the French onion soup. I, I love Ooh. the whole soup, but I could eat that cheese crouton all day. So, yeah. Yeah. Guy yelling is the cheese crouton. I love that. The man yelling. Him running is also yes. people as a meme him yeah. um, that uh, he's known for. Uh, my last one, um, you mentioned a condiment for the soup, but I like it uh, in its totality. And that's Independence Day, I think, is a fancy ramen. I think his performance is a fancy ramen in that it's, it's you know, uh, it is guy yelling. He yells at an alien. <laughs> welcome to earth but i also think the movie itself is kind of a fun it, it's very ramen like in that it's a lot of elements that you don't think go together you know ramen has noodles and pork but then there's an egg in there it's like and then there's like bamboo shoots and you're just like what and then that to me reminds me of like will smith and judd hirsch and jeff gold it's like what this is what is this you know what i mean like where does this come from and yet you watch it and you go this is exactly what it needs to be this is a perfect dumb but also great action film um i think it's still his for adjusted for inflation it's his biggest movie of all time i think not adjusted for inflation uh it is aladdin <laughs> um but uh yeah i think by far independence day is a, it's, a, it's a massive hit and i think it's it, it represents, you know, what you said before about what's great about him is you can drop him into these worlds and we just see ourselves at, in, in, our, in his shoes. And he talks about that a lot, that like, as a black actor, like, like it's crazy that like people all over the world, India, Asia, he, I mean, the pursuit of happiness was massive in China. You know what I mean? And that's for a drama, not an action film. It says a lot that he is, in a lot of ways, when he can when he can really click into a role, like we can all lose our, I mean, I am legends, a great example too. Like it feels like it's, what would I be like in this situation in a lot of ways? It's super relatable, um, which is, which I think is great. And he's a dude who he's a genius at understanding what other, what, what the world wants in a lot of ways, which is kind of, kind of wild. It's cool. I, I just want to say I'm so grateful that someone brought Independence Day to the table because these guys know, Lucas, that it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's it's one of my happy places. And Will Smith is a huge part of that. So when you see him, tell him thanks. Oh, all right. Big uh, fan. Big fan. <laughs> <laughs> big fan. Lord knows I love a good callback. So way to go, fellas. Nice job. We didn't mention Men in Black. It is the 25th anniversary of Black this year. But uh, it's a great one, yeah. too. But just, yeah, it is. I'm trying to for it. Well, this was great, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Tell it before before uh, we wrap this up. Tell us where we can find you and our listeners, like what, what you got going on and everything. Me? Um, I don't know. Four projects yeah, or saying, anything I, you want to share. I'm, 
Um, we have a show. What, this comes out like in a couple days, uh, right? Next Friday or this coming. Friday. So March 4th. Yes. Yes. The fourth. Oh, cool. So then this today, there's a really cool project that um, kind of that, that we produced actually in 2019. That's really fun. It comes out um, on the Roku channel, which you, which is free. Everyone should be able to get it. If you have a Roku, it's on your Roku, but if not, you can access it on, on an iPhone or any sort of app store. And we have a show called this Joka. Uh, directed by Lance Bangs, um, which was really fun. And it's Will basically hanging out with 16 comedians, including a lot of people we know, like Sean Patton and Rosebud Baker, and just like really cool people. And then they, and then them doing sets and us doing like little docu pieces. And it's basically Will wanted to spotlight comedians, which was cool because Will's, a, he is not, a, people always think Will did stand up, but he didn't. We, we did like a thing once with uh, Chappelle, but he's never done stand up but he loves it. And he thinks it's, he, he acknowledges it's much harder than rap. That's, that's a, which I thought was a great, a great moment in our relationship was he was like, when he went and did stand up, he's like, this is way harder than, than what I did. I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe I don't think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was like, you know, people like uh, Clayton English and real Bass, and that comes out today, I guess. Uh, and it's, it was really fun. And we had a really great crew of, be- you know, behind the camera working on it. And a lot of people, it was like their first, TV spot. We had Punky uh, from SNL before she was on SNL. We had, you know, it was really cool. Uh, Chris Estrada, I, I, you know, the full list of people I won't, I won't remember right now, but that's, it was a great project. It was a, it was a labor of love and it's six minute episodes. Uh, I think the whole show drops on, on the Roku channel. So check it out. That That's fun. Yeah. Awesome. It was the first, I think it's the first project that I received a created by uh, credit, which is kind of cool. Awesome. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Well, again, thank you so much for for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. It's fun. Absolutely, man. Thank you for for being on the show. I want soup. <laughs> I kind of do yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. All right, bud. All right, we're back. Thank you so much to Lucas Kaiser. That was great. Check him out on all the social media platforms. And look for Bel Air on Peacock and This Joker on Roku TV. A lot of stories, man. As soon as he said, uh, I could tell like, you know, where he was from and uh, like what era he grew up when he started talking about like hip hop and stuff. And I was like, man, I I lived in that world. (laughs) I get you. Um, All right. We're going to go ahead and move into last call where we talk about stuff we got coming up on the horizon and what we're looking forward to. George, what do you got for us? Well, Dave, this episode is going to air March 4th. And the TV show that we've been waiting for and texting about and rewatching the trailer for uh, the first episode is March 6th. That is winning time. That's going to be on HBO based on the the book Showtime. They, of course, they couldn't call it Showtime because that's like competitive. So, but that uh, that that premieres March sixth uh, next uh, next Sunday. So, um, from what I've heard from a lot of the people who I respect in the uh, who who podcasters who have seen it, whether it's uh, Chris Ryan or uh, Andy Greenwald from The Watch, they've they've watched the first episode of it and they said it's wonderful. So, uh, and uh, those are two guys I highly respect. Um, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And then, uh, finally, I'm, I'm happy to have some people over to my apartment on that Sunday to watch winning time and, uh, a wrestling pay-per-view. 
So I'm, those two things on March 6th, uh, AEW is doing a wrestling pay-per-view. So for the first time in like three years, I'm going to have like more than one person in my apartment. So wow. watching pro wrestling and looking at my cat. What about you? big step. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, winning time. That's awesome. Um, it's it's HBO Max, actually. I, I know because I just saw the trailer when we watched uh, the the, the – uh, we just saw the trailer when we watched the finale of, of euphoria and I got even more excited about it because they used, uh, the coup, my favorite fantasy, I think is the name of the track. Uh, mm-hmm. but they used the coup in the trailer and I was like, wait, what? Um, uh, but yeah, it's, I, I think so. We can cut this out, but it's not just regular HBO. Huh? It's not just regular HBO. Or it's, did you say, I thought you said showtime. No, no, no. It was supposed to be called Showtime. Oh, never mind then. I've cut cut all that and out. And an executive was like, you know, you can't call it that. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got you. Oh, yeah, that's this, funny. <laughs> yeah. His best in a book called okay. Showtime. And they were going to call it that. And some executive was like, you can't fucking call it that. <laughs> yeah, because it's on HBO. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty HBO. funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll keep this in. All right. I just have a, a couple of things. They're actually like in the future, but one of them is like this coming week, which is we're seeing Krungbin at uh, Radio City. And uh, I'm really pumped for that. They're doing like three shows in a row, I think, something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, that seems like the perfect venue to see them. So I'm excited about that. Uh, also, there's a couple of things like coming out. Like one, there's there's a new Father John Misty record coming out that it's come doesn't come out till April, but I pre-ordered it um, because I subscribed to uh, this joke. I think it was Phoebe Robinson. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think it was Phoebe Robinson who said that Father John Misty is Beyonce for white dudes with beards, <laughs> and I, I, I that tracks. I think it's I think it's Jan- I think it's Janelle James that said that. Janelle James. Okay. Either yeah. way, either way, it's a phenomenal joke and it's also true um so yeah i'm looking forward to that it's called uh chloe and the next 20th century i heard the first couple tracks it's really good i'm also really really looking forward to um an upcoming a24 movie everything everywhere all at once i don't know if you've seen the trailer for this george yet but it looks fucking awesome uh it comes out i think in about a month but it's from um, like the Daniels's. Uh, it's the two guys named Dan that they directed a couple movies, but their first movie was Swiss Army Man, which I saw in the theater with like very low expectations, not really knowing like what what I was gonna get. And I just loved that movie. I really, I really was taken by that movie. And this is uh, like a crazy like sci-fi. Um, surreal like awesome adventure movie with like multiple about like multiple universes and stuff and it the the lead is michelle yo uh who we mentioned on last week's show on the last show and jamie lee curtis is in it and also george you might you'll probably be interested by this the soundtrack at like the track list has been released it's insane uh mitski does a bunch of the tracks and andre 3000 is on like four of the tracks and i think there's a track where he is playing flute 
<laughs> he plays flute <laughs> because of course he does. Um, so, so that's awesome. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, man, that's a, that's a fucking mouthful, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited about that. That'll do it for me. George, give our listeners something to be excited about. Tell us what we got going on on our next show. Thanks, Dave. We've got actor who's on the aforementioned Super Pumped, which I watched this morning, Aaron Ruth. We're going to be talking to her about some of the roles that she's been on, whether it's been Preacher or Billions. And uh, this would be like our first couple uh, episode in which, because we already had Sebastian and we're now having Sebastian's partner, Aaron. So that's going to be a little fun one. That's going to be March 11th. Well, second, because we had Will and uh, Julia both on, but but yeah. Oh, right. (laughs) But Aaron and Sebastian are also fantastic. We love everyone. Um, But but yes. Um, Sorry to correct you. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. No one's going to be bad. They just just happen to be like two of my best friends. So Yeah, you don't even see them as a... Yeah, it's like, they're like, oh. Yeah. it's cool, Julian. Will, if you're you're listening, I value your relationship. I, I believe in you. Uh, they're just they're, they're, they're just one person in a way. It's Gwil. Yeah. yeah, that that tracks. That that makes sense. Gwilia. All right, we're gonna round out this show. I want to say thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to producer Mary Best. Thank you to George and our designer Amanda Zeller and Nate eighty eight Allen Tech Kid and Kazo Oslo for our theme. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Know Your Roles wherever you get your podcasts. And everybody, be safe and read a book. Mm-hmm. Consider reading a book. I was trying to think of a way to sort of like, because this isn't a shout out. This is more like, a, and you guy who said the word soft in a sentence. Go fuck yourself. How about that? <laughs> You're listening, fella. <laughs> All right.